Kimberly, uh, lovely to meet you and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm just looking at your background again, uh, very different from mine. Is that uh, what it's like outside at the moment? or? Actually, yes. Yes, it is. It's very sunny right now. It's beautiful out there. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm slightly jealous, <laughs> I, I have to say. Well, make you more jealous, I can walk to the beach, that's how close we are. Oh, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Well, I can walk to the beach too, it's not, not, not far, just a couple of miles, um, but it doesn't look like that. It's, uh, I mean, it's a sunny day, you know, it's not bad, but uh, not at the moment. I'm just looking at um, your website, um, the founder and CEO of Marine Conservation Network. Can you yes. just tell us a bit um, what, what that is? Well, Marine Conservation Network was started about five years ago. And it started because at the time I was working over at a local aquarium. I was known as the shark lady because I was working at the shark tank in there. That was my position. And at that time, it, we were there and we were explaining to everybody in scientific terms. And it was more for school privileges, for children to come through and learn about the marine life. But they also had a lot of tourists coming through. So I did my presentation like I was supposed to do with the scientific terms and the Latin terms like phylum and chordata. Unfortunately, most of the tourists that came in were out of country. So they had no clue what I was talking about. They didn't stick around to find out more about the animal and why they're important to preserve and to protect. So I started talking on their terms. And I don't mean their terms like talking down to them. I mean their terms to where the common language you would understand why they're important. Like it was a swell shark as opposed to, you know, chordata. They had personalities, what their purpose was, what the purpose of the shark in general was. And the more I talked to them on that level, the more retention I got and the more excitement I got and that made me realize that there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between the scientist, the conservationist, and the general public. And if we're going to make any kind of impact in this world to where we can protect the oceans, which are our future, that we have to find some way to come together on a common language. We have to include everybody, and everybody has to understand what's going on and why it's important. So I started creating it and I started developing the website and talking to more people. And I found that it really was taking off and a lot of people were really, really interested when you got on their level and to their heart. And now we're 5,000 followers strong and we've got a big team. We've got a program that we're building now and we've got three offices throughout the country, one in Sri Lanka, one in Florida and one out here. Wow, that's, that, that's grown quickly. It's it, that's fantastic. Yeah, in five years it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always been my frustration that um, groups, whatever they are, uh, have always been reluctant to share their information and knowledge. That uh, probably because they're all after the same sort of funding, but but it's been very difficult to get people together. Exactly. Work together, and you seem to be doing that. Doing my best. I'm trying every day. <laughs> so what kind of groups um, are you actually working with? I have several nonprofits that I'm working with right now. Um, we have uh, about five of them that are partnered with us. 
One of them is in Florida. It's the World Federation Coral Reef Conservation. We have another one in the UK called the, um, the Siren Project and the Marine Diaries. So we've got quite a few going on right now. And some of them are female-based, but one of them just touched my heart because they're in Florida, which is my home, my home state where I was born and raised. So, of course, I had to connect with them. But we've got quite a few that we're connecting with worldwide. Do you find you have um, problems getting people to connect with you or groups to, to organizations to connect with you? Or once you approach them, uh, are they fa fairly amiable and, and willing to come on board? For the most part, everybody is willing to go on board because one of the main things that we do is we promote and market the smaller nonprofits that nobody knows about. Everybody knows about NOAA, but nobody knows about the Siren Project or the Marine Diaries. So we help promote them. So for the most part, everybody is more than willing to work with us and spread the word. And I connect them with other organizations so that they can grow. But once in a while, we get somebody that says, no, um, we'd rather not. We'd rather just protect what we have. They're afraid of getting their information out. And that's okay. I mean, I, I understand that, but we try to talk to them and understand that we're here to help them, not to damage anything that they're doing. And they eventually come around. But for the ones that don't, that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to go around that and have more people connect and more people come out and explain to the general public what's going on. Yeah, sure. It's a difficult problem that, uh, uh, and as I said earlier, I do or I have seen it a lot um, around the world. It's it's um, it's a huge shame. I mean, if we all came together, we could just do so much. It's, it's exactly very exactly, and that's the focus of MCN because the problem is is a lot of it. Unfortunately, a lot of it is political, and like you said before, financial because they're trying to get a grant. But in the way that we look at it is that if your whole purpose is to go out there to make an impact to protect the oceans, because the oceans are our future, our past, our present, they're every other breath that we take. And if we don't take care of the ocean, we're next, because that's where everything comes from, our livelihood, our medicine, our food. But if we're on the same track, there should be no reason why we don't get other people involved one way or the other, whether it's by knowledge or hands-on or financial. And that's just one thing that we're trying to change in the world. We're trying to educate people and open up their minds to working together. Yeah, it, it always surprises me just how little people know or realize the importance of the oceans. I mean, there are right. dedicated people like yourself and groups around who, who are associated with it all the time. But generally around the world, populations, they hear the bad news. But they right. don't actually, it doesn't click what the importance of the oceans is to our day-to-day -day lives, even if you never, never go near it. And exactly. That's a, that's a very difficult one to, to put across. It is because the way that I look at it is out of sight, out of mind. If it's not affecting you directly, then more than likely you go on with your life and you've got other concerns and you're not worried about it. But if you look at the, um, the 
places that depend on the ocean 100% for their livelihood, they see the changes that are going on. They see the damage that's happening. They see what they need to fix and what they need to change because it's right there in front of them 24-7. Everybody else, the rest of us, we're lucky to get to the ocean because not one, first of all, it's either too far away or second of all, it's too expensive to live on the ocean out here in the United States. So we take for granted where we get our fish from, where we get our medicine from. We don't even think about it, but go to the communities that live on the ocean. They know exactly what's happening. And that's what we need to bring here and educate people more. How do you actually promote yourself um, or, or your um, group? I mean, how, how do you present yourselves in the public eye? Well, a, a lot of social media marketing, a lot of it, um, especially since COVID, the world's changed completely to where 95% of your life now is online. So we do a lot of social marketing online, but we also do the old fashioned face to face. We go out, we talk to people and meet with people at the Harbor down here, um, really close to us. We go to the beaches, we go to other events and places where they've given like talks and all kinds of meetings that are going on. So it's a combination of old fashioned and the new world. We kind of do a little bit of both. Yeah. No, it was interesting looking at your website when um, I turned to your contacts page and, and it had your email address and everything. And then the unusual thing about it was it said, but we'd love to see you <laughs> call in. <laughs> And yes, I, I can't actually remember ever seeing that before. Do you get people well, calling in? Yeah, we actually do. We've had people call in and we've had people call in to have us come down and help with seals and sea lions, which is not our specialty, but we do go down to our local beach every once in a while and help out because during COVID, the local um, nonprofit that's here for the seals and sea lions had a skeletal crew, crew. And we're right here at the beach. So we would go down for that. We would go down and people would ask us to come and educate them on certain things that are happening at the harbor. So we do get phone calls. We do get messages online to come meet up with people. And that's, that's awesome whenever we get that. We get so excited that somebody actually calls us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> and of all the, the years that you've been going now, is, is there a... Uh, a project or something that's encouraged you, something that's worked, uh, some positive news? Well, as far as projects, as far as success that we've had at or a project we're working on? Which is what? Well, we have a project that we're working on that's actually getting very, very good feedback. It's brand new. It's called the Young Ambassador Program. And that's for kids that are ages 8 to 15, but they're kids that are exceptional and passionate about the ocean. They're already doing their own thing to where they're getting involved with conservation and educating others. They're doing very well in school and they're on their pathway. And what we do is we provide them the connections, the practice to get out there and speak to the public, courses that they can take to get certifications. And then once they, they, they reach the majority, we have a small scholarship waiting for them so they can go to the college of their choice to be a marine conservationist and a marine biologist. And that's really taken off. We already have one in Sri Lanka who is, I love this girl. She is a force to be reckoned with. She makes me feel like I don't work hard enough. 
<laughs> and then we have another one in Florida, and she's also very phenomenal and doing very well. That's a project that we're working on at the moment that's really taken off exceptionally faster than I expected. And I'm getting a lot of good feedback on that. If somebody wanted to be that person, uh, how, how can they make it happen? Well, they would contact us through either our Facebook group page or our website, and they would tell us about who they'd like to, to nominate. They would suggest you know, who they are and how old they are, give us some information and background on them as far as their school and what they've done and where their passion lies. And we would go through and we would have like an, like an interview over on the Zoom and talk to them, get to know them a little bit, make sure that this is for them. Because we're not taking anybody just to say, you know, oh, you work for MCN. We're taking the ones that are really, really making an impact. So they yeah. just contact us through the website if they want to nominate somebody. Are you getting many applications? Do you get many people? I wasn't, I wasn't at first because of COVID. I mean, you know, um, unfortunately, everything was really slow. But now it's picking back up, especially during the summer. Kids aren't doing school anymore, so they got to find something else to <laughs> occupy their time. And they're contacting us now, and it's picking up very quickly. Oh, good. Fantastic. Tell me, where did you get, where did you get the love of the oceans from? Where did it, where did it, when did it arrive? With oh, you? that arrived at a very young age, very young age. I started out, I, like I said, I was born and raised in Florida, and my father was a commercial fisherman. I mean, I'm sorry, not commercial, a recreational fisherman. But, and he would always go out every weekend. And, of course, I'd go out with him on the boat, and he taught me all the ins and outs of working a boat and the safety mechanisms and everything that had to be involved in that. And I loved nature anyway. So we would go out, and I'd get in the water. My, and my mother used to say that she thought I was going to grow gills because I wouldn't come out until I turned blue. <laughs> And I just, I loved it. I felt at home in it. And I started watching the old Jacques Cousteau shows and going to the local aquarium that was close by. And I did, and originally I did want to be a dolphin trainer. This was long before I knew all the ins and outs of what was going on. Because I just, I felt so connected to them. And it was wonderful to get that close. But then the more I found out about it, then I figured, let me study a little bit more about this. So I started researching it and I went to college for it, went on field trips and research vessels and I just haven't stopped. Oh, lovely. So, and I assume you dive. I say, I assume you yes. dive. Yes, I do. All right. <laughs> I mean, yes. it seemed a, a silly question, but. Uh, no, there are some marine biologists that believe it or not, do not dive. It's I a big some, fear yes. for a lot of people. Right. Right. It's, it's, you've brought back memories for me. I mean, I remember as a kid. Actually, what started me off with the seas, there was a program here on British TV, and it, I think it was called uh, What's My Line? And I remember that show. You. <laughs> I remember that. Okay, now that's aging me because I remember that show. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I remember this bloke coming on, and they had to put their signature on a board, and then people could ask some questions and they had to find out what his job was. I think it was about six or something, I don't know. And in the end, it turned out he was an underwater cameraman. Wow. And I thought, I mean, this was unheard of. And Back then, yes. Wow, I thought, my God, just how exciting. And then, as you're saying, Cousteau came along 
and it just opened up the world. But it still took me quite a long time, probably into my mid-20s, maybe uh, 30s, to realise what the oceans were about. It was just all fun and enjoying up to that point. And it was then a very quick and sudden realisation what the oceans meant to us and what was happening to them. And yeah, it's 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 been that roller coaster ever since. You know, you get your and that's how it is for a lot of people. A lot of people, it's like that because they just really don't. In, in the old days and hundreds of years ago, man depended on the ocean, so we knew exactly what was going on, what was important. But as modernization came in, less and less we relied on the ocean. At least we thought we did because it's no longer in front of us. So less and less we had things that made life easier, so we took it for granted. So what you went through is actually normal for the majority of the population. Right. Yes. Yes. I still get frustrated with, um, I've used frustrated a lot in this, in, in this chat, um, <laughs> with, with people who do go diving and don't even then take on board what environment they're in. And, but, Case in point, uh, I may take people diving and if we're lucky, we see stuff because it's not always nowadays that you actually see stuff. And say, oh, it was wonderful, it was wonderful, Uh, how fantastic, thank you very much. And then come back in and have a fish supper or eat (laughs) octopus. And I say, well, just before you order it, where, where do you suppose that fish or octopus comes from? Yeah, and they don't exactly. haven't even thought about it. Well, that was before I started Marine Conservation Network. I actually had another nonprofit that I started called Sustainable Seafood Experience, and that was all about educating the public on how to ask about your seafood. Where does it come from? How is it caught? Was it farmed? How old is it? Nobody understands that you need to ask those questions and be aware of where your food is coming from. Because especially a lot of the farmed places, they don't take care of their fish correctly. I'm not saying all. There are some that are fantastic, but not very many compared to the ones that just want to get the fish out and sell them to you. And you don't know what you're getting. And especially here in Santa Barbara, everybody is very health conscious. So everybody was very interested how to find out to buy local and what does sustainable mean. And believe it or not, some people didn't know what sustainable meant. I went to a restaurant even that sold fish and I asked them, is it sustainable? And they're like, what is that? And I could not believe it. But the education was put out there. But unfortunately, we could only go so far with sustainable seafood experience. There was only so much that you could teach. That's how I went from that to this, because this opened up a bigger door. And you would be surprised. People don't think about where does their food come from because they didn't have to go out and get it. Again, they're they're taking advantage of the fact it's just given to them instead of working for it like we did hundreds of years ago. Yeah, the... the, um global commercial fishery is just this entity that that has no personality it's, it's yeah. just this machine that people don't think about 
and it supplies us or people with fish and sea produce and things uh, and you're not there close enough to to count the cost of it so right. as you're saying it it gets ignored um do you take this this information and these thoughts uh into schools and colleges yes yes we do um we go and we explain to them obviously you know who we are and we explain to them you know where your food comes from we go through all of that we've gone to meta schools we've gone to elementaries um and we're working on going to colleges this next year we've done some zoom but i'd like to start going in person because i i feel that you connect and people understand you better when you do it in person as opposed to on zoom which is great i mean zoom opened up a great door you know during covid but in person is so much better because people can actually connect with you and really sink in what you're telling them. Yeah, it's true. The, um, the Zoom thing has been fantastic. It, it really has opened up the world um, for things like this. But as you're saying, that when you get the personal view, you can actually take it. 30 seconds without saying anything <laughs> that's <laughs> just true think about it and I quite, very true whereas on zoom you feel slightly pressured to to keep com- conversation going oh yeah don't like that dead air <laughs> no 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 exactly <laughs> with with all the people and groups that that you meet who are the most reluctant to take on board what you're saying what kind of groups what kind of people usually the Usually the uh, older generation, I notice. Um, not, not, I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm really not. But they were brought up a different way. They were brought up and they've seen all the negativity and they've seen all the damage for so long. It's really hard for them to change habits and hard for them to see that we can make a difference if we start now. And if we and all it takes is one, but you take one and multiply that by over seven billion, you'll get a big impact. But a lot of them, especially the older ones, they ha- have a hard time changing habits. The younger ones, like the the preteens, they've got so much heart, so much heart. And some of the young college kids do too. The ones that are fresh into college, they've got a lot of heart and ambition, and they know what's coming if we don't do anything about it. So I, I really think a harder, the harder group would be the older generation. It's a great shame about that too. And I totally agree. I come across it myself. I see. Uh, in fact, I only heard somebody say um, a couple of days ago, uh, he was complaining about these conservationists, these, these do-gooders. And I thought, yes. you, you have... You've lived your life. You have absolutely no idea what you're saying here. Yes. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. And the thing is, older people aren't stupid. You know, you don't, you don't pass an age and then suddenly become dumb. Right. You, you have all this life experience, your knowledge. They really should be more active in, in what's going on rather than using that phrase, you know, well, now it's in the hands of the children. Right. The thing that I seem to notice is that I think the reason a lot of the older generation have a problem with the conservationist, at least from my experience, is because they're still holding on to the definition and the connotation of back in the 50s and 60s. Back in the 50s and 60s, 
if you were a conservationist, you were a tree hugger. That's, that's all you were. You didn't know what you were talking about. You were just like, here to save the world kind of thing. But if you look at conservationists now, a lot of them have a lot of life experience and a lot of education and know what they're talking about. I mean, a good example would look at Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin got his experience from hands-on, from being in the field with the wildlife and with all the animals out there and what's happening to them. Not so much going to school the typical way where his nose was to the book 24-7 like a lot of marine biologists, but he was actually out there. And in the beginning, I mean, I had this fear too when I started. I didn't want to be seen as a tree hugger because, yes, I love nature and I respect it and it's important, but a tree hugger usually means, and from what I've seen, you're not very smart, you're very airheaded, and you just want to love the world. And that's not what a conservationist is. A conservationist is passionate about nature and the planet and its future and us getting along with it. And we have a lot of knowledge, whether it's book learning or experience. And that's where they need to understand is that we're not tree huggers. And unfortunately, that's the connotation that they're still stuck with. That's why they can't get past it. I wish politicians would listen to your definitions then. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> that's still what they think. You know, they, they use the word, and newsreaders use the word conservationist like it's, it's demeaning. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's a bad definition. What's on the horizon for you now? What's, what's, what's next? Well, we are actually um, opening up our uh, second branch over in Florida. And we're going to be expanding over there and starting to work with a conservation effort for the manatees because the manatees are now becoming endangered over there. So we're going to start working with them. And then we're just going to continue exploding with the Young Ambassador Program. We're, we have a limit of about, I think our limit is uh, 15, 15 members. And we're really, really expanding that. Like I said, we have one in Sri Lanka right now, and she's definitely bringing more kids, kids aboard. So hopefully we'll get that and explode it a little bit better, a little faster. Great. Uh, well, I wish you the best of luck with that. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Uh, thank you again for taking the time. Um, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Ah, no. And, and once again, I'm, I'm half looking at that background <laughs> it is fantastic i think that's somewhere i think that's somewhere in the caribbean i'm not really sure <laughs> no it'll do i don't, I don't mind <laughs> it's slightly nicer than cornwall in many ways um <laughs> yeah i mean actually if you're are you near the sea all the time or do you spend time well, away from it no i'm i'm down i go down the water at least once or twice a week um, i try to get down there more often but you know, being having to work mostly online. <laughs> Sometimes it calls for me to be on the computer than down there, but I can get down there whenever I get the chance. I'm like five minutes walk. Oh yeah, lovely. It's uh, I always I always get very um, yeah, depressed almost if I don't see the sea uh, for too long. Me too. I was landlocked for quite a while, and it's not fun. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, look, Kimberly, thank you um, ever so much. Uh, lovely to talk to you. Good luck with all the projects. And um, for now, I'll say goodbye. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed talking to you today. Uh, thanks, Kimberly. Take care now. Bye. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.